Well, good afternoon to everyone. We want to welcome you to this October 12th edition of the Ag Market Network Monthly Cotton Teleconference. I'm Pat McClatchy, the moderator. Our program is sponsored by BASF. Uh, as you know, BASF is the owner of FiberMax and also Stoneville Cottonseed. We appreciate uh, them making this program possible and being a long-term sponsor as they have been. Today, uh, we have a special program. Uh, Gerald Nieper will lead our discussion of the uh, today's crop report. Uh, he will be followed by a special guest. Uh, Buddy Allen will uh, join us in. He's president and CEO of American Cotton Shippers Association, and we'll introduce a little more of what he's going to talk about later. But let's get started, Gerald, talking about today's report. Thank you, Pat. I'm uh, glad you could uh, join us, Buddy, today. So uh, I look forward to, to your talk. Um, so I'm going to make this fairly short because I know Buddy's going to speak. Um, you know, if we were somewhat shocked at, at last month's report, especially with on the production side, U.S. production side, taking Texas up to 8.6 million bales, I don't know that we're as surprised this month as going from 8.6 million down to 8 million, but uh, it was still a little bit of a shock. I think people were expecting a small a small decline in Texas, but uh, but not that large. If you take out, uh, you know, the 600,000 bale decline in, in Texas, the rest of the United States was actually up uh, 95,000 bales. But the overall U.S. production number was, was cut by 505,000 bales, putting it down at, at 18.004 million uh, statistical bales. Um, you know, the U.S. Had also released today were cotton ginnings, and I just thought it was kind of interesting uh, we know this crop is a little bit behind, <clears throat> but uh, uh, going back to 2014, as of October 1st, between 2014 and 2020, uh, on average, about 6.5% of the final crop number was, was, uh, was harvested by October 1. This year, if you look at the, the current crop estimate and you look at Jennings, we're at 4.2%. Now, that doesn't sound like a big difference, 6.5 versus 4.2, but that's over 400,000 bales. And I think that goes to explaining somewhat why this market is as excitable as it is. There's a lot of cotton out there that's committed for, for exports. Guys got to get uh, cotton on the boat, and yet it's not coming in as fast as people would like to see it come in. Um, so I just, I just kind of threw that out there. On the world stage, you know, USDA made some uh, some adjustments. <laughs> uh, they reduced the Indian crop by 500,000 bales. They increased the Pakistani crop by 1.5 million bales, uh, which is substantial. I mean, you go from 5 million bales up to 6.5 million bales this month. Um, you know, their, their, their yield estimate went from 397 pounds a year ago to 631 pounds this year, so almost a 60% increase in estimated yields. Yes, the crop is better in Pakistan, but I don't think it got that much better, and I haven't heard any, any estimates out of Pakistan that are as high as, as USDA. Um, the... Uh, um, you know, the, the the Turkish crop was raised 200,000 bales, and, and overall world production was, was increased by 690,000, 695,000 bales up to 120.28 million. On the consumption side, 
you know, citing COVID, you know, logistical problems, energy problems, you name it. They've got some problems. In China, they reduced Chinese consumption by a million bales and took that down to 40 from 41 million. There was also a reduction in Vietnam, down 200,000 bales to 7.3 million, primarily because of, of COVID-related issues over there. So, but there were a couple of increases. Pakistan was raised 200,000 bales. Turkey was raised 100,000 bales. But overall, U.S. world product consumption was down 734,000 bales. Uh, on, in, on the ending stocks, of course, some of these things uh, fed through into the ending stocks, but uh, uh, the Chinese ending stocks were up 1.5 million bales. As uh, not only did they reduce consumption by a million bales, but they increased imports by half a million bales. Um, the Brazilian ending stocks were raised 270,000 bales. Pakistan was up 400,000 bales. The U.S. is down 500,000. Overall, world ending stocks were up 446,000 bales. Um, dig a little deeper into the Indian numbers. Uh, USDA apparently has gone back and has made some adjustments that has re that has those adjustments have resulted in lower ending stocks in India. They went back to 2017, increased consumption in that year by 600,000 bales, which of course reduced ending stocks. Um, for 2020, uh, they reduced production by 300,000 bales and increased consumption by 200,000 bales. So as that fed through the system, at the end of 2021, they reduced Indian ending stocks by 1.095 million bales. And coming into the 21 crop year, they reduced production by 500,000 bales, reduced exports by a little bit, and the end result is ending stocks in India were down 1.395 million bales from the previous, uh, previous estimates. But overall, you know, world, world uh, ending stocks were up 446,000 bales despite the, uh, the reduction in ending stocks in, in India and in the United States. You know, a 505,000 bales smaller U.S. crop with, uh, with no increase in either domestic consumption or exports resulted in ending stocks going down by 500,000, putting them on par with the uh, at 3.2 million bales, putting them on par with the end of the 2021 crop year of 3.15 million. Um, I think I've touched about on on just about on on everything. Does anybody have any comments or questions with the numbers? Am I on? All right. Well, yeah, you are. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you, did, you did such a good job. <laughs> All right. Well, look, we can circle back around later if we want to add anything to that. Let's go ahead and introduce our special guest, uh, Buddy Allen, as I mentioned earlier, is president and CEO of American Cotton Shippers Association. Uh, and Buddy's going to be talking about logistics and on-call impact and clarification of limits and Buddy, thanks for being with us and, and, and sharing this information. Uh, sure, Pat. Thanks for having me on today. And uh, as most of you know, uh, American Cotton Shippers Association, we're, we're your merchant association based here in Memphis. And uh, appreciate the opportunity to join you today. 
Uh, Gerald, nice, nice job, nice overview. Uh, I appreciate you flagging the slow start in ginning and classing. Uh, from a shipper's perspective, uh, with a with a small volume of carry-in and a slow start, we 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 see pressure ahead to make to make export numbers. In the current report, uh, we're 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 earmarking 13.8 percent of the crop for domestic consumption, and the rest has got to go through a a very challenging supply chain. And that's what Pat and I have been talking about, and 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 you you have talked about on this call quite a few times. And I, I wanted to put a little bit of color on it. And then also put a little bit of cover on on the risk management tools that we're using in, in this uh, really volatile market, uh, which which are all things that you've been talking about on this call already. So uh, so I'll jump right into the supply chain, and and you know a, a real macro overview. It starts with COVID and the way we as consumers spend our money. When we shifted from experiences, uh, travel, restaurants and started to spend our money on uh, tangible things, we saw a real, a real shift in containerized freight. And, and you guys know that cotton is uh, the biggest containerized exporter in the U.S. And, and unique to a lot of ag commodities that ship bulk. And uh, we, we're very uh, connected to, to that asset uh, of shipping containers and their availability and their, their fungibility and, and, and the way we can move them from the interior uh, to, around the world. So with this changing in behavior, uh, we've seen a 30% surge in total import cargo year on year in, you know, into the United States. The good news is that puts a lot of equipment here. It, it's only valuable when it's purposed to, for, to ship cotton for, for our industry. Uh, we've seen, we've seen uh, cost for containerized imports trans-Pacific increased 350% year on year. Uh, thankfully, there's a little reprieve at the moment. We're, we're uh, cautiously optimistic that that spike in cost could subside, uh, although we do not see this challenge ending near term. Um, currently, empty returns of containers are greater than 75%. So three out of four shipping containers you see sailing are empty while cargo sits on the dock. The, the reason why, as you can imagine, that, that, that it's so lucrative to ship those manufactured goods inbound to, to allow that dwell or free time to unload cotton and to deal with customs. It, it just it limits the utility of that really valuable asset. So we're seeing carriers uh, return those boxes empty to, to keep it purpose for that inbound shipment. Um, on-time sailings are under 10% in the U.S. That means how often a, a vessel arrives on time. Um, currently at L.A. Long Beach, and that port complex, Pat, is where 60% of our cotton is, is being shipped into the export market right now. And, and at that L.A. Long Beach complex, we've got 57 ships at anchor that are averaging a 12-day dwell. It, it's very similar, if not worse, in, in the major Asian ports. Uh, and, and get this, this is the maybe the worst problem of all. We think we've now approached about one million driver shortages in our motor carrier segment. Uh, in September, the Department of Labor report added 83,000 in that category, but we're seeing uh, trucking challenges that, that you know, supply chain counterparts are it's beyond their control, and we're seeing it picking up cotton from gins, uh, 
for our shippers trying to, to pick up from warehousemen. And when, when, when our warehousemen partners break that cotton out and we don't pick it up, it's nightmare. And, and there are fees associated for our shippers. It's, it's just bad, bad. It adds costs throughout the supply chain. It compromises our competitiveness. And it's, it, it, it's, it's no good for anybody. Um, and, then, and then it goes all the way through the ports. We saw the ports open 24-7 and there's no activity because there's no infrastructure to move that cargo at night. Um, so the, the trucking piece is particularly discouraging to me. Uh, so co collectively, and that's a, lot of, that's a lot of data, but it helps you to, to understand how challenged this supply chain is right now. And, and we believe there's, there's more demand currently than there potentially is the ability to execute. So I, I was a little bit pleased in the report today to see the export numbers stay at 15.5 because I've, I've had a fear all along that if, as the crop's been getting bigger before this report, that we'd keep pressing up that, that shipment number to a point that would disappoint us if, if the supply chain logistics prevented us from executing that. So uh, we, we, how are we going to do it? <laughs> we, we believe that we've just got to really – really establish and focus on critical commercial partnerships and we're, we're, we're all friends on this call and and you know there have been many times where warehousemen and shippers have, have really struggled to work together as our business models are, are very different but uh we're doing a pretty good job now and, and we're thankful for those commercial partners uh, many many of the warehousemen have formed I think I'm picking something up there, but 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 back to commercial partnerships. Uh, many many of our shippers have made strategic alliances with warehousemen that have really enabled us to work through these challenges. I, I want to flag Gulf Compress down in Corpus. Uh, those guys find themselves because of latitude right at the tip of the spear, and as their cotton cotton comes in first, and they're they're loaded up now and they're under order to a, to a big degree. They're, they're some of our first reports on execution, and I'll just tell you, it, it's, it's not encouraging. Uh, our, our pickup percentage on time has been well below what we'd like to see, but because of the good work of Robert Sweezy and his team, as well as many of our shipper members who are in constant dialogue every day, we're working through things one day at a time. What we plan for today has got to be fluid. We've got to be reactionary because – we can't forecast very accurately, and we can't be very dependable because of the so, the so many challenges that I've already described in the supply chain. Uh, we've got to increase our visibility. Uh, the warehouse will need to know where their inbound trucks are. They need to see that in real time. We as shippers need to know what warehouses have availability. Th these ports and carriers have got to illuminate to us when early return dates for containers are going to change. This has got to be incredibly transparent for us to maximize efficiency. And, and I'm going to kind of segue from all that bad news to some good news. Um, we, we think that not only is that important to ship this crop, but we think that's the trajectory this industry's on. Um, we, we've seen a lot of comparisons in the news of this market to other markets. But where we see things is right where we stood in the spring of 2018. When we were having a bullish market, we were really excited about increased consumption around the world and the U.S.'s opportunity, and then boom, macroeconomic catastrophe from the U.S.-China trade war, and then boom, macroeconomic catastrophe from this pandemic. But we think we're right back there, 
And today, if, if the crop report would have shown a big increase, we'd be saying, relax, we can sell it. The demand is really strong if we can execute and ship it. Today, e even at these prices, yarn margins are sound. We're doing business. The demand is really good. Um, yarn supply is tight. And, and Gerald mentioned uh, Chinese um, power problems or, or potential closures for electricity. That could compromise yarn production and really make that balance sheet tight and, and, and potentially palatable to higher prices. And, and right now, the polyester market's not getting any share at, the, at these prices. Uh, I question that. I think Bangladesh can put it out for about 75 cents, but, but right now, we're not seeing that shift. It takes a while to make that shift. Um, so we think going forward, if we look out long term to, say, 2030, we're, we're forecasting global consumption up over that 135 million bale mark. And our goal at AXA is to see the U.S. get 23 million bales or more market share of that 135 plus. So that means we've got to go to a place we've never been. We, the most we've ever shipped is 18.1 million bales in, in 2005. And you guys remember that. It was a little wonky at the end of step two, and that might not be the most indicative comparison. Uh, so it will require major structural and cultural changes to hit those levels, but we're excited about the path we're on, and if we can continue to collaborate uh, throughout the supply chain, enhance our infrastructure slowly, our visibility and cultural practices quickly, our industry's ripe for growth. And, and it's good for all parties if we can get there. You know, I know there are a lot of farmers on this call, and some takeaways I would give is just the more efficient we can hedge your crop and mitigate defaults, the, the better, the, the more value your cotton will have. And the more liquid your cotton is in this market, the more valuable it will be. So we've got to work together to collaborate for growth. Um, I want to shift to risk management just a little bit and hit a couple of things you guys have been talking about, and then I'll, then I'll give it back to you, Pat. Um, I, the cotton on call report is something that I, I know OA and, and Gerald have talked about quite a bit, and the amount of cotton that's out there that needs to be fixed, the volume of, of spec activity that's been uh, brought into this marketplace for it, and, and we're really concerned about that. We're, we're commercial hedgers. Um, we, we appreciate the liquidity of the spec trade, but we are very concerned about unnatural influence it can have on the market. And if prices get synthetically inflated to where demand can be compromised long term or defaults can occur uh, on the inevitable downside of an unnatural move. So that report's been coming out for 100 years. <laughs> And we almost got it changed during position limits for derivatives, the rulemaking that just occurred at the Commodities Futures Trade Commission. But our industry was not aligned. And that's, that's the reason why we didn't get it done. I know a lot of people appreciate that information and the transparency for their analysis. But it can, it can certainly cause some unintended consequences. And I think we, we, we may have seen that already in the last 10 days or so. Uh, so we hope that the industry will align, and that's something that we can be more careful with how we use going forward. Um, and, and the last thing I want to touch on is, is, the, is the actual position limits for derivatives that came out of that rulemaking uh, process that became effective in March. I've read a lot this week, 
there's been a lot of anxiety in the news around this run-up, around the the exposure to the cotton that needs to be fixed and the spec by. And I'm not sure that it's all accurately depicted what happened from the CFTC or what ICE has done about it. So I just want to clarify that while the CFTC did significantly increase position limits, uh, the spot month went from three to 900, the single month 5,000 to 5,950, and, and the all months limit from 5,000 way up to 11,900. First of all, those limits aren't even in effect yet. But I want to say, too, that risk management exemptions for banks were recalled. There was significant expansion to the definition of bona fide hedging that allows our commercial hedgers to, to, to really efficiently manage price risk for growers. Um, they originally proposed 1800 in the spot month. We went back and worked with them and explained the, prob explained the problems we had logistically on meeting that deliverable supply number. They cut it in half, back down to 900. So th there was some partnership there. And, and I also want to just clarify that ICE, the exchange set limits, which are the ones that we're actually trading subject to, have not changed. Um, and we, we've, um, we've partnered with them pretty closely in that process. So again, I'm going I'm to stop there and just, and just ask these growers to be mindful that the liquidity is of an extreme importance right now and how we can move the cotton. Uh, we know that their revenue model is changing. Domestic support is gone in the tune of, you know, 100 to $200 an acre from, from PLC, CFAP, trade aid, all the things that have occurred in recent years. All the revenue has got to come from the market. We know their input costs are soaring. And the importance of risk management and a real planned marketing strategy are more critical than they've ever been because of that. So, Pat, I'm going to give it back to you and appreciate you giving me some time to talk about this and happy to try to answer questions or engage with you guys anyway. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, buddy. Let's open it up to our panel to see if we've got any questions for Buddy. Uh, Pat, away. I just question one thing, if I understood you correctly, buddy, that y'all are opposed to the uh, on-call uh, publica publication of the on-call data. Uh, and I may have misunderstood you, but I would hope that the industry would go whole hog and full bore to ensure that that information continues to be published. Uh, so, consequently, the entire industry will have a feel for what the large position people are doing. Sure. Well, oh, uh, you, you did not in, you did not misunderstand me. Uh, that's 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 a position that's different from ours, and and it's one that that we don't have consensus around. And and I respect your your comments that that type of visibility and transparency is needed. I also understand when uh, events happen like they are now and. And in all honesty, there are certain cir circumstances where transparency causes unintended consequences or, or may even be more, more compared to voyeurism. Uh, so the, it's, it's... Well, I've it's, never thought cotton position limits were any of the uh, limits being indicated or the indications related to on-call sales had anything to do with voyeurism. I think that's an <laughs> extremely poor use of words. I, I, I'm very emotional about this. 
And basically, basically to me, this is a ploy by large merchants to basically screw the grower. Now, I mean, I've said that. I've said that piece. You've heard it before, but uh, I'm not going to back off from it. Well, that, that's that's fine, O.A., and, I, and I'm I'm not gonna uh, you, you're you're not gonna back off on it. I believe that, and and our our position is simple. We we don't think we think that if there's value in surveillance and oversight from the commission, happy to provide that information. It's public dissemination. We think comes with unintended consequences. So we can just agree that there's not consensus on that. If you're okay with that. Oh, absolutely. There's no consensus on it. Okay, any other questions from Gerald, John, Kip, anything else? I do have a question, Ms. Kip. Uh, These logistical problems you're having, particularly the container availability and and, and problems associated with that, do you all have any sort of timeline when you expect this thing to, quote, get better? And, And I know it has to do with price. I presume the biggest part is the pricing of the inbound freight uh, container uh, pricing. Do you have any idea when this thing may kind of get back to what it might perceive to be somewhat normal? Uh, Good question. Uh, And and the answer is we we believe that there may be some near-term improvement, but this could last quite a while. And it will come back to spending trends and cultural behavior uh, we there's more vessels that are going to be taken offline than capacity coming online. The, the kind of infrastructure changes we need are slow. Um, so we we think that this challenge is going to to last some time. Now, I'm sorry, I don't mean to pressure you here, but is sometimes six months or a year or two years? I, you, I know you don't have a, a solid answer for that, but you, surely the amount of work y'all are doing, maybe you have some sort of a, an indication of what yeah, that well, might be. Yeah, more, more, more bad news. I, I, I'm, I'm fearful. <laughs> I'm fearful that it would be to the longer end of your of your options there. And, and one reason why, Kip, is not just the the ability to move cargo in general, but when you have limited equipment, you're going to utilize it for the most lucrative opportunity. And that means uh, that means that inbound ca- cargo load. And it also means if you've got a truck and a trailer, uh, you know, it, it may mean moving, moving cargo for, for Amazon is more lucrative than bales of cotton. So, so we're afraid at our historical price points, we're not the first use to purpose some of this infrastructure, which may put our relief on the back end of that curve. Right. Thank you. That makes sense. I appreciate it. Uh, Buddy, here's a question for you. I think there was some fear and concern with these log jams that maybe some of our competition or other countries that export uh, might be able to capture some business. But I guess the question is, is every exporting cotton cotton country facing the same thing as far as logistical problems go? Yeah, I, I, I think so. And, and arguably, it, we may even have an advantage in respect to that with the amount of, of, of infrastructure and equipment that's landing here, how much we're buying, the volume that's inbound, and how we can repurpose it. And if you look at some of these... Um, some of these countries that have had bigger later COVID uh, problems, uh, you, you'll see you'll see bigger challenges than we have. So I certainly don't think this is an acute problem in the U.S. 
it, it's a global problem, and, um, and and it may be worse and, and significantly worse in other marketplaces. Buddy, I, I, I appreciate you bearing with me away again. I, uh, I will just comment since I disagreed so vehemently with the other uh, situation. I, I do certainly applaud the American Cotton Shippers Association for maintaining the strength, the reliability, and credibility in getting cotton out of the United States and delivering what we sell. That's been a huge credit to the American cotton industry, and y'all have provided that, and it uh, makes cotton competitive, makes U.S. cotton competitive sometimes when it might not otherwise be. I wanted to also to come back to one question, and I'll just give my answer before I state the question. I know it's the last two weeks we only had 10 and 12 countries buying U.S. cotton, so I've been concerned about demand, and I felt like you indicated that demand was very strong, and I'm just not seeing it. Uh, uh, and, and when do you think we'll see more countries buy? Because I'm just not seeing it myself. You know, oh, I, thanks, thanks for the for, for those comments, and and I, I've had very similar concerns. In fact, I was polling some membership today before the call because I expected somebody to ask that very question. Uh, and and it it's it, it has gotten a little choppy at the top, like like the market recently. It was very methodical and and and, and pretty broad based, and uh, and and this little pullback that we're we're seeing uh, may may allow us to see that that base broaden again. But um, but our members are encouraged with, with the feedback they're getting right now. And, uh, and and they certainly made me feel better about it in those conversations. That's very positive. Thank you. Uh, and and oh, if, if you don't mind, um, no no hard feelings. We're, we're all we're all grown, and we we can we can respectfully disagree. But I would just flag oh, yeah. too on on that issue that uh, that that's led that's led from our domestic mills to our customers who who find themselves in a tough spot on that issue sometimes, too. So that's not simply a market initiative, uh, but it is one that, that a lot of people are very emotional about and there's not alignment on. Well, if the domestic bills will buy more cotton, then uh, I'll have to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Any other, any other questions for Buddy? Okay. Pat, well, buddy, Pat, you're welcome. You, you, yes. You might you might have to buy me a steak dinner after that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's plan for that. Uh, if we don't have any more questions, buddy, you're welcome. To, we're about to get into the part of our program people look forward to, and you're you're welcome to uh, make a forecast here. But uh, we like to go around and ask everybody what they think uh, of cotton prices. Uh, what they forecast. So I, I, I think I'll, I'll first start in California. We'll go to Gerald and ask him, Gerald, what are your, what are your thoughts on the price of cotton? And I'm not just going to ask old crop. I'd like to also ask new crop projections. <clears throat> you don't have an easier question there, Pat. You know. Uh... <laughs> no, and that's why we started with you. <laughs> We well, want to give everybody you know, else o a little time. 
you know, OA, OA mentioned something about the, you know, the, 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 the demand side was starting to concern him a little bit, and, and, it, and it is me too. Um, the, these, I, I think you just shut things down when we got up to, you know, uh, 110, 112, 114, 116, and, you know, price, prices, I think, need to come back down some, some, somewhat to, to reinvigorate some of that demand. You know, there's there's good support between 104 and 106 on the downside, and then and then you kind of have to drop almost all the way down to you know right right below a dollar. I mean, a, a dollar obviously is psychological resistance, and now it should be very good support if we run down that far. Um, so I, I do think that we may try to make a quick run down to to a dollar, but uh, and stop for a while somewhere in that 104 to 105 area. Um, but uh, as far as the upside, so just put me down for a, a dollar to 104 in terms of where I think uh, we, we might be down on, on the on the downside. On the upside, uh, I still think we have a, a shot at, at 124, um, but I don't. I think it's going to be tougher to get to than it was when we ran from what 88.95 up to 116.48. Which that's not going to happen in 15 days. Uh, it's going to be choppy. It's going to uh, it, it's going to take a while to get up there. So I do think that I do think we've got a shot at, at 120 plus one, the 124 area, uh, but uh, it probably won't have, happen until February March timeframe. As far as uh, 2022, um, you know the only thing you hear are growers complaining about, uh, and rightfully so. You know, these natural gas prices are really causing these fertilizer prices to jump pretty high. Fuel prices are up. You know, it's hard to find labor. So there's just a lot of things out there that that make me think that at least for the 2022 crop year, you know, 90 cents has to become the new 80 cents. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, new crop climb up to uh, to 95 cents to, to maybe even a dollar. To, to get uh, to get enough cotton into the system for, for this next year. Well, that would okay. be my comment, uh, Pat. Well, well, thanks, and I apologize for not mentioning this before you you gave that forecast. But I got this; it just came in from a farmer, actually talk, commenting on 2022 prices. And here's what he says: uh, He says that uh, fertilizer prices have doubled, chemical prices they won't even price. This particular farmer says, he has, Texas farmer says, we've got two new cotton cotton strippers. The prices are up $100,000 each, and a new center pivot irrigation system was $70,000. Now it's been moved up quickly to $105,000. So, boy, that puts it in perspective. And So now let's go to John. Give us your forecast, John. Well, we've traded up as high interday at about what 116 or something, and it's not that far to get to 120. So, I'm going to put that 120 and yeah, a dollar, a dollar to 120. <laughs> a nice 20 cent range <laughs> okay. for for 80. I mean, for uh, 2022, um, I, I I really think we're going to. It's going to spend most of its time between 90 and 80. I'm, I'm looking more towards downside risk there. Not that it can't get pulled up. More. You know, if what I said just happens and and the 21 goes to 
to a dollar twenty, it's going to keep pulling up on it. So yeah, okay, so it could be like ninety ninety two down to eighty. I think a lot more acres are going to get planted. I think if this goes on for another couple of months, we're going to have a high insurance price for twenty two. I think. We have a La Nina forecast, so it's going to be drier than normal in Texas. I think we could easily plant a million more acres, but you know, you never know what's going to happen in that kind of a situation. Um, but I'd say 80 to 92. Okay. All right. Kip? Yeah. You know, I, uh, being third, I got to hear the first two. I, uh, I did the upside of this market, I think that's the comment that Buddy made I really liked because I – it confirms what I've been hearing that the yarn prices remain good, and the, mar- the mills are able to get uh, able to get reasonable margins even at these high prices. So I'm thinking that the downside a dollar might be a little low. Maybe it's one dollar, one o two, one o three, but I think we're going to get quicker support unless something changes in that yarn market. So I, I think the one twenty. 120, 122 is a reasonable upside for this in the short term. Of course, when you asked me this last month, I thought 98 to 99 was a reasonable upside. So, um, but but I'm, I'm thinking 120 or so, you know, give or take a couple of cents in there, and the downside probably around a dollar, or maybe we don't quite get there. Uh, the um, the new crop I think is really interesting and challenging right now. I um, I like the uh, 92 kind of, of price. I think it's going to be difficult to get a higher net. Typically, when we get these kinds of large crops, and I'm concerned that uh, these logistic problems may last longer, we may not make the export number we've got now unless something changes. Uh, not that we don't have it or, or, or don't have the ability to get it to the port. Maybe that's challenging, too. But I'm thinking we may be in a situation where the new crop's going to be impacted by a carryout that uh, that's going to look a little worse than we wanted to. So I'm thinking that from about 80 to 92, 94 cents, I'm in John's camp for that. So it took me a long time to say that. I apologize. <laughs> All right, buddy, you I want to take you. a swing at this? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll take a, qual- a qualified swing, Pat, and. And just say that we, we think, uh, or, or, I, or I should say, I, I think this old crop is still potentially explosive. Uh, the, the the need for cotton is running out of time to be met, and it and it's uh, there there are a lot of variables that that can set this thing off again. Uh, and uh, so so I like these top end numbers you guys are talking about. It's, it's it, there's some excitement still to be enjoyed in, in that in that contract. Uh, and, I, and shifting to the to the 22 crop, uh, I think it was interesting the comments that you made, Pat, about input costs, and, and I agree. Um, but but I would say this, and particularly think about the Memphis Eats market. Uh, we could bring another million bales in really fast, where the where these farmers have rotational opportunities. Because if you look at those same inputs, and, and when you said fertilizer, I assume you meant nitrogen. But if you look at the price of potash and phosphorus now, um, the, the cost of corn production and soybean production um, is, is impacted even more so. So we think that when you look at those soaring input costs and growers has, have options, they're likely going to be biased to grow more cotton. So um, let, let's see where that goes. There's a lot more time to heal that need uh, for cotton in the market out to that next contract. But we 
we are really looking at uh, the potential to see significant growth in production, and um, and it'll take um, it, it'll take a strong global economy and no macroeconomic disruption to to keep prices up here. So I'll, I'll just leave it there. All right. Okay, all right. We'd like to end with you. What are your thoughts? Okay. Well, first let me say, buddy, I appreciate your comments. I'm very, very sincere about that. I, you added a lot of depth to what had been said, what I would have said too. And uh, on the uh, another note, uh, you get paid by the shippers, and I get paid by the growers. So I have to do everything I can to destroy y'all. At the same time, we are one. I understand that. Understand it well. Uh, but and, and I'm proud to be in the cotton industry, and we all have to succeed. Uh, you know, Pat, you always make me follow these big bears. A dollar four, a dollar five on the downside. I would say with Gerald there, uh, the I would like to see shipments pick up a little more, sales pick up a little more. Uh, I think China is yet to become an even bigger buyer. Uh, I'm uh, probably 125 to 135. I know you're talking December. Uh, Gerald did get up to $1.25. He didn't use the month, the contract month March, but he said later down the road. Uh, I don't know if December will get to 125, 135 basis. To, basis December, it could. It's a that's a sure stretch. But old crop per se, I would still keep it there. Uh, a lot of things have to happen, but uh, this uh, this on-call information that we have, that I'm uh, very proud that we have it, is very important. Uh, and it tells us that there's a bull in the China shop, if not two or three bulls in that China shop. Uh, new crop, I have been adamant that 95 cents was a cap. Uh, I'm starting to wonder if I'm wrong. Uh, uh, but uh, not to put words in someone's mouth, but the combination of John's Texas increase and Buddy's uh, potential East Mid-South acreage increase, we could have 2 million more acres here in the United States next year. I think it's a lead pipe cinch. We've got a million to a million three uh, today. Uh, John's comment about the insurance price going up, it was a record high this particular year. It'll be higher next year. Uh, so I, I, maybe 95 cents is higher, but we're going to plant more cotton in India. Uh, they have a decent crop. That We have this huge price. Pakistan has an outstanding crop, the first one they've had, first crop they've had in a number of years. So they'll plant a little bit more based on this. So we're going to have a huge increase in world production. So I, I still wonder about 95, 96. I, I guess we could see that crop higher. But I do have a uh, higher than that, but it's going to be tough to get above 95. Uh, I do have a suggestion, a pricing suggestion that, Pat, I'm going to let you and uh, Gerald and, and Kip and John, if they want to, join in. But I'll send growers to you two. Uh, I would go ahead. You might want to look at pricing some on October uh, and just let your broker or your agent or your whoever work out the spread between December and October when it comes time to work out that spread down the road. So uh, happy marketing. <laughs> okay. Well, let, uh, let's wrap this up. Good meeting. 
Uh, we appreciate first and want to thank uh, BASF for making this possible. Uh, thank you, Gerald, for, for leading this, and special thanks uh, to Buddy uh, Allen for uh, contributing as he, is, as he did today. Uh, very much thank you for that, Buddy. So that concludes this edition of the Ag Market Network. Thank, thank you. you.